Well, it is 4th of July weekend, and I was uh, talking with a friend earlier this week, and I, and I felt like, <clears throat> have you really celebrated 4th of July weekend if you don't eat a hot dog? To me, that's like, that's the iconic 4th of July weekend food item, a hot dog. I know every, not everyone loves hot dogs, but I love hot dogs. My favorite are Hoffman hot dogs. I love Hoffman hot dogs. And, uh, and I know that uh, the whole conversation about what do you put on a hot dog can get very uh, heated. Uh, some people, some, some people, God bless them, put nothing on their hot dog. I don't know what's wrong with those people, but they just, just the hot dog in the bun. Some people are, the three big ones are what? Ketchup, mustard, and relish. Those are the three, the three big ones. But you can do other things. Some people put mayo on their hot dogs or barbecue sauce. Or, or uh, if you get a Chicago dog, you're going to get pepperoncini peppers on your hot dog. I'm Korean, so I actually like to put kimchi on my hot dogs sometimes. But... When it comes to my favorite hot dog, it is a white Hoffman hot dog with just brown, spicy, spicy brown mustard. To me, if you're having a white hot dog and you're not having it with spicy mustard, you're not having it the way God intended you to have it. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, I know not everybody likes mustard. In fact, I'm really the only one in my house that likes mustard. But this morning, we're going to talk about mustard, specifically the parable about the mustard seed. A parable, as you just learned, is a story or an illustration that talks about everyday, ordinary things, but in doing so reveals amazing spiritual truths, primarily about the kingdom of God. It's a teaching method that Jesus used all the time to illustrate unfamiliar concepts. And so we're going to go to Mark chapter 4 and look at verses 30 through 34. And in this, it says, beginning of verse 30, Jesus said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? Can you kind of hear Jesus' sort of thinking? Like, what, should, what, what example should I use? What can I use? Verse 31. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet... When it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. The parable of the mustard seed. And what we're going to see together this morning in this very short parable is that what we learn here are three very important truths about the kingdom of God. Three ways in which the kingdom of this earth are, is different from the kingdom of God. And the first one is this. The first thing is this, that what appears to be the end is actually the beginning. What appears to be the end often in the kingdom of God is actually the beginning. Well, consider this parable from the perspective of the mustard seed. Imagine yourself being that mustard seed, thrown to the ground. You ever felt thrown to the ground? Tossed aside. Sown on the ground, but it's not enough for a seed just to sit on the ground. What does a seed have to do? It has to get swallowed up by the ground. It has to go into the ground, taken away from sunlight, taken away from the air. And all of a sudden, this mustard seed is swallowed up in the ground, no sunlight, no air, certainly thinking this is the end. Certainly not a promising start. In the kingdom of God, what often appears to be the end is actually the beginning. I was thinking about Jesus' life, his birth, his life, and his death, and how this is so true. In Jesus' birth, Mary thought it was the end, the end of her reputation, right? 
Mary and Joseph, Joseph thought it was the end of their engagement. He'd have to call it off now. They certainly thought it was the end of the life that they had envisioned for themselves. It was, certainly was the end of a nice, quiet, ordinary, normal existence. It was the end. And yet it wasn't the end, was it? It was just the beginning. And Jesus' teachings, one of his favorite ways of teaching was to say something like this. You've heard it said, and then he would quote something that they've either used to believe true or they've misunderstood the truth of it. And then he would say, but I say to you. And Jesus was saying, it's the end of old understanding. It's the end of the way that you used to try to approach God. In some ways, it was the end of a covenant. And Jesus was saying, it's the beginning of a new covenant. I'm here to start a new covenant. The end, what appeared to be the end, was actually the beginning. And then Jesus' death is the most clear example, of course. Seen in his death, the end. I I often wonder how many people left the cross that Friday and lost their faith, gave up hope, thought, you know, I thought this was the Messiah, I thought he was the one. He healed the sick. He fed the multitudes. He taught like no one else taught. He did incredible things. Yet even he couldn't escape the arm of the Romans. Executed. Leaving the cross. Lost of faith. It looked like the end. But we know it was just the beginning. Jesus himself knew this. In John chapter 12, verses 23 and 24, these Greeks come to see Jesus. They come to Philip and they say, we'd like to see Jesus. And Philip comes to Jesus and says, these Greeks are here to see you. And Jesus immediately knows, if the nations are starting to come to me, the end is near. And he says, the hour has come. And then he says this in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, in the Gospel of John, whenever Jesus uses the term the hour, he's always talking about his suffering and his crucifixion and his death. And so Jesus here realizes the time of my death is near in which I will be glorified. Now, talk about the end and the beginning. Being crucified on a Roman cross is not something that would be considered of any glory. It was the deepest, greatest shame that someone could experience, but Jesus realized he was going to be glorified through the cross. Verse 24, and here he uses the same metaphor of the seed. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In other words, sometimes for new things to begin, some things have to end. What appears to be the end is often the beginning. We want the kingdom of God, right? I mean, that's what we pray for. That's what we ask for. That's what Jesus told us to pray. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We want the kingdom, but you know what we don't want a lot? The end. (laughs) We don't want the end of certain things. We want the things that we love and the things that we treasure and the things that we adore to last forever. But sometimes things have to end so that new things can begin. How about the end of ourselves? Many people don't come to Christ, in fact, the beginning of the, many, I, don't, I won't ask you, but some of you might say, the beginning of my life with Jesus was because I came to the end of myself, the end of hope. This past Wednesday, I had the opportunity to speak. There's a wonderful ministry with the Assemblies of God called Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge is an addiction recovery program that's Jesus-centered. And there is a Teen Challenge Center right here in Syracuse. In fact, the director of Syracuse Teen Challenge attends our church. His name is Rashad. And they're actually, the last Sunday in July, don't miss this, July 31st, 
Teen Challenge is going to be with us that Sunday morning, and we're going to hear the stories of what God has done to turn around the lives of these men. And actually, Syracuse Teen Challenge is beginning a woman's home very soon, too, where they'll be able to minister to women who are caught up in the pattern of addiction and just need a, a, a residential program where they can not just get free from addiction, but understand who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And so Wednesday morning, I had the opportunity to speak to all the Teen Challenge students from Syracuse, Albany, Buffalo, and Rochester. I st- and I stood in this room full of about 100 Teen Challenge students, and, and, I, and just to hear them singing out about Jesus and worshiping Jesus. But I bet if we were to ask most of them, how did your life with Jesus begin, they would say something like this, well, first, some things had to end. I had to come to the end of my hope, the end of the rope, the end of myself, in the kingdom, we often must come to the end. For th- we have to stop trusting in ourselves to start trusting in God. We have to come to the end of believing that we have it in us. Many people walk away from faith, and on the way out the door, they say something like this, I can't do it. It's too hard. That's not the end of the Christian faith. That is the beginning of the Christian faith. Once you finally realize, I can't do it, it's too hard, I don't have it in me, then you're ready to begin life with Jesus. The end of a chapter of life to begin a new chapter of life. Disciples are leavers. They're always leaving things behind. Peter, John, left behind the fishing nets. We have to leave things behind. We have to put some things. There there might be some habits in your life. There might be some, some attitudes in your life. There might even be some people in your life. And some things need to end so that new things can begin. That's the way it works in the kingdom. And then even life itself as a believer has to end if we're going to begin the greatest journey the greatest life. Yesterday morning I was here overseeing, over, officiating a funeral for my wife's grandfather and heard so many stories about this man who loved Jesus and served Jesus. And even though we were there remembering him and reflecting upon the end of his life, we know it was just the beginning for him. My favorite quote when it comes to thinking about this is from Christine Kane, who said, you don't bury Christians, you plant them. <laughs> you don't bury Christians you plant them. And in the kingdom of God, you don't bury anything. You plant it. And the end is often the beginning. What does this mean for us this morning? Some of you are in a place where you're having to let go of some things and trust God with the end of certain things. Maybe it was the illusion of control that you felt like you had over your life or over a person in your life. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe there are some things that you have to let go. But sometimes we miss what God is starting in our lives because we will not end the things that he's asking us to move on from. The second thing that we learn from this parable is that what appears in the, king, what, in the kingdom of God, what appears to be wasting is actually waiting. What appears to be wasting is actually waiting. Does anyone actually like waiting? Is anyone, this past week, uh, our youngest daughter, Madeline, had tendon lengthening surgery on both of her legs. She's in full leg cast. And on Tuesday, we went to the hospital for her to have the surgery. And you know this, and I'm not meaning to speak badly at all of hospitals. We're so glad of what they do for us. But when you go to the hospital, you're waiting. There's a lot of waiting. She was scheduled to have her surgery at 11, but as we've learned, it almost never starts on time. It was like one or two in the afternoon when they took her back, so we were waiting for her surgery to begin. And then when she's back, they're having her surgery. They promised us, we'll call you every half hour with updates. And you know, you're waiting. You got your phone with you. You're you're waiting for those updates. And then they finally said, the surgery is done. It was a success. She's back there. She's coming out of anesthesia. And then once she's out, you can see her. And now again, we're waiting to see her. 
And then we were waiting to get her home. And then, of course, getting checked out and sent home takes a long time. And now we, we find ourselves just waiting for her next pain med, you know, so that she will feel better again. And now she's got to wait three-plus weeks to have these casts taken. It's a game of waiting. Does anyone actually like waiting? We do not like to wait. But listen, to get from a seed to a tree, you have to wait. You have to wait. It's waiting. You know, mustards, actually, I, I learned a few things about mustard trees this week, more than I care to actually know, but uh, they are actually among the fastest growing garden trees, the fastest growing. But you still have to wait 90 plus days to see a mustard seed mature. Not 90 seconds, that's what we want nowadays. Not 90 minutes, not even 90 hours. It's 90 days you have to wait to see what life exists in the seed. And in his parables that we're going to study, Jesus so often uses metaphors from an, the agricultural world or the botanical world. And, and Why? Because in the agricultural world, when you plant something and you're waiting for it to grow, there's very little you can do to accelerate the growth. Yes, you need to take care of it, make sure it has water, make sure it has light, make sure it has all the, all the, envir the environment necessary for growth. But at the end of the day, you are not in control of how fast something grows. In other words, this is the type of growth that you must wait for. And in the kingdom of God, I'm not saying that there aren't moments where things go quick, but generally speaking, how many of you learned in your own life, your spiritual growth, your spiritual maturity, you being less like you and more like Jesus, that's a growth you're waiting on in many ways. It's a wait, we keep waiting. And it might feel like it's wasted, but in the kingdom of God, nothing is wasted. It's what appears to be wasting is actually waiting. In the waiting, God is at work. You know, we read the Bible and we get the highlight reels of some of these people's lives and we forget how much waiting they did. Moses flees Egypt because he's murdered an Egyptian. He goes into the wilderness. Well, in the next chapter, he's headed back. Well, not so fast. 40 years. 40 years. 40 birthdays. Moses has between when he left Egypt and when he has his burning bush experience in the wilderness. I'm sure it felt like, man, I wasted my life. This is a waste out here. What am I doing? I'm just taking care of sheep. I'm, what am I doing? But he was waiting. Jesus, 30 years the son of God before he began his public ministry. You would think, well, come on, let's get going. Let's get going. 30 years, he's kind of hidden in obscurity. Is it wasted? No, it's waiting Mary and Martha send a message to Jesus. Lazarus, whom you love, is sick. Jesus doesn't come. Lazarus dies. Four days he is dead. Seems like it's wasting, but it's waiting. And then Jesus' burial, resurrection. Why not? Wouldn't it have been more impressive, more sensational if Jesus died on the cross and all of a sudden he was just like, boom, I'm back. <laughs> they waited three days in darkness and turmoil. Peter in shame, the disciples in fear, in the kingdom of God, what seems like wasting is often waiting. This past week in our pray together time, which we do every Monday, which I always look forward to. We won't tomorrow, by the way, because it's the holiday. But I was asked to pray from Psalm 2714. This is what Psalm 2714 says. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. What I found so Interesting and, and sort of moving about this verse is how the psalmist David here, he, he bookends 
Be strong and let your heart take courage. And that's what we really want. We want strength and we want courage, right? But what if we don't get it in the kingdom of God without what comes before it and what comes after it? Wait for the Lord. And even as I read that and I was praying that this past Monday night through our pray together time, that word wait just, just like filled my heart. I was like, Lord, help me to wait. I'm not a patient person. I'm not. God, help me to wait on you, to trust in your ways. There's this incredible example in Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the faith chapter. In this faith chapter, the, the author of Hebrews, we don't know who he or she is, but the author of Hebrews gives an example from Old Testament stories of all of these different people of faith. And then in verse 33, the author just begins to talk about sort of nameless thing or nameless people who did things, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, a woman who received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, some refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Some were mocked, some were flogged, some were imprisoned, some were killed, some were sawn in two, some were stoned. Uh, all of these different things. And then verse 39, in the summary of talking about these people of great faith, look at what the author says of Hebrews. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. That's like, that's the weirdest end of that chapter. It's like, hold on. This is the hall of fame of people of faith. Surely if you have enough faith, you will receive everything you're promised in your lifetime, right? And the author of Hebrews says, no, because sometimes our weight actually goes beyond our lifetime. Sometimes the answer to your prayers will be in the next generation. Sometimes the healing we want will be in heaven. We don't always know, so what do we do? We wait. Some things we wait for, we won't even see them in our own lifetime. In fact, I heard somebody say once, if you're praying prayers that, if you're praying prayers that can only be answered in your lifetime, you're praying prayers that are too small. Pray prayers that will outlive you and that will make a difference in future generations. If you don't receive something in this lifetime, guess what? Can I just kind of relieve you maybe of some guilt? It doesn't mean you failed. And it doesn't mean that God failed. You know what it means? It means the kingdom is one that we wait for, and it's a kingdom worth waiting for, even if we have to wait into eternity. So trust in his timing. In the kingdom, nothing is wasted. In the kingdom, what appears to be wasting is actually waiting. Wait upon the Lord. And then lastly this morning, I'm going to have Pastor Antonia join me in Bethany. The last thing we learn from the story of the mustard seed is this, that what appears to be invisible is actually inevitable. What appears to be invisible, unimpressive, nothing happening, it's actually inevitable. The mustard seed is proverbially known as the tiniest seed. Now, again, I told you I learned more than I cared to know, so here's something else. It's not actually the tiniest seed. The tiniest seed is orchid seeds. But a mustard seed is pretty tiny. It's two millimeters in diameter. That's very, very small, very easy to lose. But depending on the type of seed and the climate in which you plant the seed, some mustard seeds, listen, can grow to be trees as tall as 30 feet, three basketball hoops high, from a little seed that's two millimeters in diameter. What seems to be invisible is actually inevitable. 
It's coming, and there's nothing you can do. There's nothing the governments of this world can do. There's nothing the prince of this world can do. There's nothing the enemy of our souls can do from stopping the kingdom of God, because although at times it seems invisible, it is always inevitable. It's coming, it's here, it's in our midst. For many days, you may not see evidence of growth. You might look around this country and go, where's the kingdom of God? It's inevitable, it's coming. Jesus will reign and rule, and someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's inevitable. You may look in your own family and say, where is the kingdom of God? It's inevitable. You might look in your own heart, where is the kingdom of God? It's within you. Because once the seed is planted, there's no stopping it. And there's no stopping the kingdom of God. In Luke 17, Jesus is being asked by the Pharisees about the kingdom of God. When would it come? Basically, what the Pharisees are saying, when are you going to overthrow the Romans? And Jesus answered them saying, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Why? It's invisible. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. When we gather like this, the kingdom of God is in the midst of us. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the kingdom of God is in the midst of it. When you're on the mountaintops, the kingdom of God is in the midst of it. Don't lose hope. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming. And in Luke 11:32, one of my favorite promises that Jesus says in all of the gospels is this, fear not, dear children, because the Father delights to give you the kingdom. It gives the Father such pleasure and joy and satisfaction to say, my kingdom is here and it's coming. And it may seem invisible, but it's inevitable and nothing can stand against the kingdom of God. And Jesus the King will return and the kingdom will reign forever and ever. When all the nations of this world and all the rulers of this world come and go, it's Jesus who will sit on the throne and forever we will reign and rule with him because his kingdom is inevitable. The mustard seed, what appears to be the end is actually the beginning. Don't give up. There's newness even in the end of things. What appears to be wasting is actually waiting. Don't lose hope. Wait upon the Lord. What appears to be invisible is actually inevitable. Trust in his plans and his purposes. We're going to sing in just a moment these words. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. You never, you never stop working. And as we get to that part of the song, maybe you want to sing it over your marriage. Maybe you want to sing it over your children. Maybe you want to sing it over your workplace, your future, your health. Even when I don't see it, even when I feel it, God, you're working. Let's bow our heads in prayer.